Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Fifty days after the resurrection event, something powerful happened to the world. It's 2,000 years later, and we have a tendency to compartmentalize in the way that we think. And so we think that happened a long time ago. But in the Greek language, there is a, there is a past tense verb uh, that allows us to say, in a sense, it happened then and it continues to happen every day since. And that powerful event that took place 50 days after the resurrection is the thing that continues on in the world today. It is Pentecost today. And for Christians, this is not simply a commemoration of the Feast of Weeks, which was required by all faithful Jewish people to make pilgrimage after seven cycles of seven days to uh, go to the temple and to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest that were coming in. So we had the Passover, and then 49 days later, or on the 50th day, the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. There was only one other uh, Celebration that they would be required to go to the temple to celebrate, and that was the celebration of the Festival of Booths. The Festival of Booths is most often associated in Messianic thinking at the time of the Jews with the coming of the Messiah. It's the conclusion of the church year, or the synagogue year, the temple year. It makes sense that God would, at the fulfillment of the year, also fulfill his creation and send Messiah. And this is, I believe, why Peter says this bizarre non sequitur on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, do you want us to make three booths? One for you and Moses and Elijah. Because he's trying to reconcile in his mind all the things that God has promised to the world and the way that he has imagined they will come out. And he's trying to reconcile that with the spectacular vision of Jesus who is standing before him. But it's at the wrong time at the wrong time of year, and it's caught him completely sideways. We have to hear Jesus when he tells his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, but I do not give it as the world gives. For the world's definition of peace is the cessation of violence and war. But what God has in store is so much more than that. We are to be citizens of a new kingdom. And that citizenship became powerful in the sense that the church itself was empowered at the day of Pentecost. Jesus promised that he would send a helper. And he made this promise just on the night in which he was going to be handed over and betrayed and executed for being, uh, being a rebel for being a heretic, for preaching heresy. And then he rose from the dead 
the powerful news of the resurrection. And many Christians stop telling the story at that point. But the Easter story is not complete until we tell the, the story of the fulfillment of God's promise. That I will send to you another, an advocate, a counselor, a helper, a friend, a guide, a prompt, someone who will remind you of everything that I taught you because you're not going to remember until my helper arrives. And then it will all come to you. This morning we heard from two different authors. We heard the story from the book of Acts of the Pentecost event, the way Luke wants us to hear it. And we heard the story from the Gospel of John of the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's difficult if we try to merge these two, but we need to let Luke speak to us for just a moment. Because between the ending of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts, something very powerful happens. You have this character whose name is Peter, who for Luke comes to represent all the disciples. Can you see him in the early morning after a long night of wondering after Jesus, can you see him standing next to a small fire at Caiaphas's outer courtyard as the sky is pinking up in the east and the day that they've all dreaded has come? Can you see him standing there and looking across the fire at Jesus? Can you see him when the woman asks him, you are a Galilean, aren't you? You're speaking with an accent. You're one of his disciples. You, you're talking just like him. You're one of his. I am not. I am not. And he looked up and he looked Jesus in the eye, according to Luke, and said, I swear to God, I am not one of his followers. Judas couldn't have twisted the knife any better than that moment. And when the rooster crowed in that early morning light, Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And 50 days later, Peter, the same man, the man who denied knowing Jesus and, and in every spiritual way you can imagine betrayed Jesus, but had not lost his hope, he stands up on Pentecost festival day and he begins to preach because the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the church I, I laugh whenever I go into churches and I see depictions of the Pentecost event and there's all these ordered disciples just sitting in a row with their hands in their lap and Jesus kind of off in heaven and then there's little flames of fire on every one of their heads if we tried that in here the fire department would go crazy the story that Luke tells us in the second chapter of Acts is a story that is meant to be heard. Remember, it was read aloud in the churches. This is not a story meant to be filmed, but a meant to be heard. There was a sound like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were, and it shook the house. And a divided tongue was given to each of them. Why is this important? Because when human beings, long, long, long time ago, <coughs> had put it in their mind that they could somehow be the equal of God, they began to build a great tower, the Tower of Babel. 
And even the, the, the creatures in heaven said to God, look, if we let this go unchecked, there's no telling what they might be able to do. And so God tore down the Tower of Babel, scattered the people, and frustrated their speech so that each would speak in a different language. And the people were scattered. Trying to find their one voice again, they could not talk to one another. It's just like today. Oh, we all speak American English, but nobody can talk to each other. Because we're all speaking in different languages. The incarnation of Jesus began to send the message that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Earlier in that same third chapter of John, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are begotten from above, unless you are born from above by God, you can't even see the kingdom of God. It's invisible. It's all around you, and you won't even be able to see it without God's help. And so long as Jesus was among them, he could be the conduit of that help. It was Jesus who came and tabernacled among them. It was Jesus who lived in the flesh and showed them all the way. But now Jesus is gone to sit in glory at the right hand of the Father. And to speak of Jesus is to speak of God, and to speak of God is to speak of Jesus because the two are exactly as one. And now there is a Holy Spirit, not a thing, not a creature, but the third person of God. It's God's own self given to the church to remind the church of everything that Jesus was talking about, to empower the church. So a divided tongue is given to every disciple. They are becoming apostles in that moment. You have to know that the nickname for every prophet that ever walked in the Old Testament, the thing that was said about them was that when they spoke, they spoke with a tongue of fire. Luke is sending us a message. A tongue of fire was given to them. Not a unison tongue of fire, but divided tongues were given to each. So that in the context of the places where your feet tread upon the earth, you will have the power and the authority to show, share and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to whoever you meet in the language that you are led by God to speak it. So long as it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it is consistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Scripture and Spirit, side by side, implanted, embedded in your heart so that you have a tongue of fire to speak the word with boldness. This is a message that needs to be heard rather than seen. Except if we go too far in that direction, we find ourselves not out serving in the world, but in the church library, sitting and thinking deep thoughts and feeling wonderful, warm feelings, or in our private devotions at home or whatever else. And so Jesus also says to his disciples, here's how you're going to know when the Spirit comes. It's a twofold promise. Number one, when the Spirit comes, whatever you ask in my name, I will do for you. Whatever. This is a risky thing, by the way. Anybody here remember when you had a 15-year-old in your house? Now, imagine with me. 
that you sit down with that 15-year-old over breakfast one morning and say, today, today is your day. And whatever you ask me to do, whatever, I will do it for you. Would you take that risk without condition? Would you? I never did. I'm a poorer parent for it, I guess, but... uh, Think of the risk that God undertakes in saying, I'm giving you my power. And not only are you going to do the things that I, Jesus, have done, but you are going to do much greater things than these. For you are my friends. You are my church. But here's the second part of that promise. You'll know it's the Spirit who has empowered you because you're going to be incapable of asking for anything that is inconsistent with my heart and my will. To truly ask in my name is to be filled with my presence, with that counselor, that advocate whom I will send. Oh, how often have I walked into prayer meetings where the only, the only pronoun in there was me, myself, and I. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, I want this. Lord, I want that. Lord, 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 I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And then with scotch tape, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, there, God, we got you. You have to do it. Hmm. Jesus is saying, those who love me are going to be keeping my commandments. And that's what I will empower. And they will do it because I love them and they love me. They're not going to have to reach very far to understand what needs to be done next. A whole new different way of knowing God is coming into the world in which the divided church is empowered, each in its own place, to hear the word of God. Something miraculous happens when that power falls upon the church. Woody White, a retired bishop of the United Methodist Church, told this story once. I was sitting in the room, and he was laughing. He said, I was supposed to go to a a meeting at a church, and it was going to be an ecumenical meeting, meaning people from different religions were going to gather and they're going to talk about things going on in the church. But they were pretty excited because the bishop was going to be there. And there was a long driveway. Now, Bishop Woody White is African-American. And uh, as they kind of went around the, the horseshoe, he had the window down and there were children who had been looking for him and they went running up the slope of the hill toward the church saying, Bishop Black is here, Bishop Black is here. And he laughed and said, I could get past that. But... The moderator for the meeting that they were going to have was from the Quaker or Friends tradition. And I don't know how much you know about Quaker meetings, but to really do it right, everybody comes in and they sit down and they wait. And they wait in silence. And nobody says a word until the Spirit moves somebody to speak. Fred Craddock reminds us that Silence was the initial context for everything. God was moving across the waters and it was quiet and then God spoke, let there be. Silence is the context for our life and noise is the exception. 
Think about that. Every person that you are sitting around begins the day in a blessed silence, like a phone booth made of crystal glass around them. And it's an awesome thing to take a word, any word, any word, and hurl it like a rock into someone else's silence, to break their silence. And if you're sitting in a room where you're waiting on the Spirit, that silence can get very, very, very pregnant. Because who wants to do that? Who wants to break the silence? Bishop White said, I sat there and I was fighting an inner turmoil in myself. I was so frustrated because they had called me there to be a representative of the United Methodist Church and to bring my Episcopal wisdom and everything else, and I was just raring to go, and I kept thinking, this is an old and dusty form of religion. We need for God to do something new in this place. Why doesn't somebody say something? And as he was having those thoughts, he reports, that somebody from across the room stood up with an open Bible and said, Isaiah 53 tells us, I am doing a new thing. Can you not see it? And he said, as I was thinking the words, we need something new. Somebody across the room was reading from the scriptures, I am doing a new thing. This is my point here. That these divided tongues, which are given to each of us, are not meant to show how different we are from one another, but it's to show God's immense depth of love for all of us. Because when we each speak in our own language, What the people we're talking to are going to be hearing is something consistent and right and true at the other end. That the currency of God's kingdom is love. That that love is poured out to God above all things and is shared out with our neighbors as if they were one of us. That in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross and we have newness of life through his spirit given to the church. It's a simple message. Anyone can say it. Anyone can say it. And so why doesn't the church? I talk with people all the time as a pastor particularly those in advancing years who say, I wish I knew the scriptures, but I don't. I wish I knew this, but I don't. I wish I knew more about God, but I don't. And I hear that, and I say, I know you could have used some other time for other things once upon a time, but it's not too late to start. Have your Bible open on one hand, and your, hand ex- your other hand extended to your neighbor. And wait for the Spirit, for the Spirit will guide and direct. This isn't a church program from FUMCO. This is a promise of God for the whole church. And it's so much bigger than our congregation. And it's so much bigger than our shopping lists and our to-do lists. And it's so much bigger than the little bit of time that we get to take the torch from the apostles who came before us walk through this world holding it high and proud and hand it off to someone else. It is so much bigger than all of that. There are many, many ways and names by which God can be known in the world. But the point of Pentecost 
is that through the power of God's Holy Spirit, through the gift of God's Holy Spirit, through the oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we here today can know and be known by God, every one of us. And this is good news indeed. Amen.